Wednesday, September 20th, 2021. Chag Sameach, or as my brother used to say, Hog Sandwich. My name is Caleb Haig. <laughs> and just coming after the Rona, I'm Rob Famhoff. Still can't taste that whatever is in your, it might as well be is, hot water. It is water. Water <laughs> tastes funny. My wife and I are like, water does not taste right. Yeah. Well, it's we're glad truth. you're getting better, man. Yeah, my energy's coming back. Baruch Hashem. Still got a little bit of a cough, so I, I already told Caleb I'm going to try to remember to mute myself if I have to cough. Still can't taste anything. But thank God the, the fevers have passed. So, uh, you know, I, I normally I'll say to Rob, I don't, this is going to be a short show. I, I don't think we have enough content for a full show. And then usually what ends up happening is that it actually becomes like much long. Like those are the ones that go long usually. However, on this one, you should see what I have for my notes. I literally have just my, our intro and then Sukkot. That's all it says. We got nothing. <laughs> we got nothing, man. So this could be a very short show, but here is the thing. I wanted everyone to see Rob and know that he's a, among the land of the living. And I figured we could talk a little bit about the festivals because, hey, why not? Uh, and yeah, if we have a 15-minute show, we have a 15-minute show. And not only that, but you know what? That might be all Rob can do anyway because he's still, uh, you know, he's still combating the Rona. Yeah, I'm not contagious anymore, though. <clears throat> I don't think You're I'm going to get it. just for like the first. Uh, I don't think it can be conveyed digitally. Uh, you can fact check me on that. I, I bet Fossey would disagree with you. Anyway, um, okay. Fauci. Fauci, or? Fossey, whatever his name is. Whatever that dude's name is. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, let's talk about this. You, uh, you have had uh, a lot of time in bed. You can't really think about anything. But what have you been? Actually, I have to say. It, because of the back pain, <laughs> my bed got too soft. It was like, I cannot sleep in my bed. Well, there you and go. I, I was ended up spending a lot of time on the couch and even on the floor. I mean, I don't know how many people out there have had this, but boy, it, it it's not good. So, <laughs> so not a lot of time to think then. Well, I've thought a lot about the festivals. I have thought a lot about the festivals. Thought a lot about uh, the implications of what's going on in the festivals. Uh, I was uh, I was blessed the other day, um, because my I was so I, I took my uh, two older children with our community up. We went uh, I don't know what is that up north up east north northeast. That's mm-hmm. what I'm looking for. Uh, and uh, I did that. Highway be- two. No, I don't think we went highway two. Well, Leavenworth is Highway 2. 97. Anyway. We went the other way. Okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. And up up by Leavenworth. And uh, we went camping. It was uh, it was good. My kids wanted to stay. We were unable to stay with the community for the whole time. But we got to stay one night. Uh, it was a blessing. And just a little bit of reflecting on, uh, you know, why God has us sleeping in tents. So kind of an odd <clears throat> time. And we have to be happy about it, right? Um, so yeah, anyway, so we'll talk about that in just a few seconds. Was there anything that actually, before we do that, let's just, I'm going to be looking at the chat room a lot today. So, uh, there's that. But if you want to be part of the conversation, you're not in the chat room. You can uh, give us a call anytime of the day, 253-465-3205. 
It's 253-465-3205. You want to hear the jingle, Rob? Messiah Matters wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253-465-3205. That's right. That is the number. You won't talk to us. You'll just talk to an answer machine. You can also shoot us an email, chegatorresource.com, C-H-E-G-G, at dooresource.com. That's our email, by the way. We say it a lot, but here's the thing. Even in the chat room, we have people say, how do I get a hold of you? Okay, I'm going to tell everyone right now, this is how you get a hold of us. If you want to email us, seehagatorresource.com. And uh, yeah, there. Yeah, okay, anyway. So um, that's how you can get a hold of us. Uh, go to Torah Resource for all sorts of things. If you want a, a blessing booklet for Sukkot, you can go and find it on torahresource.com, totally free. <clears throat> also, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. And that's the most important thing. Subscribe and click that like button. Thank you, everyone who's already clicked the like button. We love you so much. All right. Um, yeah. So tell me, what have you uh, been pondering while you've been laying on the floor with the Rona about the festivals? <laughs> well, um, you know, just the the all the meat around the meaning of the feasts as a whole, right? The There's a story that we rehearse every year and we begin in uh, the in Nissan or in Aviv. And the story is we're slaves that, that the, whom the Lord is redeeming, not because of our own righteousness, but because of his covenant promises to the patriarchs, uh, covenant with Abraham. And so we rehearse the delivery, right? The, our deliverance from slavery. We celebrate uh, unleavened bread and we count to Pentecost, of course, and we celebrate the not only the deliverance and the um, the uh, recognition of our complete dependence on God, and then that He gives us His instruction, which in of course is perfect and true and reveals His character. But at the same time, it it just like He commands us to speak the truth in love. The Lord speaks the truth and love to us, and it brings out something called sin. And we have to understand that the nature of covenant is blessing and cursing, and that sin is a human problem that has to be recognized and, and is part of our uh, conversation with the Lord. And then we come to the fall feast, and, and we see the anticipation of the, of the coming king, of the reign of God, but also that he makes atonement for us. He solves our, our sin problem. And then of course, and that brings us to where we are now in, in the yearly liturgy, if you will, where we celebrate fellowship with the Lord and with his people with just joy. It's just to be joyful. And uh, we recognize that whole journey is one of, of redemption that we did not earn. Um, it's in God's good pleasure that he uh, chose Abraham, that he told Abraham, go out and count the stars if you're able, um, because so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed it. Well, Abram, Abram at the time, right? Avram. And it was reckoned, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. And that uh, it's just, 
it's just such a beautiful picture. It's always a beautiful story. The story of our redemption is always beautiful. It always magnifies how awesome and glorious Yeshua is and what an amazing savior we have. But, and that's true every day of the year, but um, in God's wisdom, he gave us this calendar where we get a we get to trace the story again and again year after year and it never gets old it never gets old it it those of us who are in messiah because we grow every year in in our maturity in our spiritual discernment in our love of him and grasp of his word and our desire to walk in his ways um, we learn new things every year and yesterday we had a Bible study and, and people sharing all their insights and different scriptural connections. It's just very, very edifying. And now, of course, again, all those facts are always there every day, right? I mean, it, it, it's not that there is new truth revealed, but there is something about his appointed times. Again, it's his wisdom that he has a set apart for this, for our edification and, um, that's us, you know, that's how he equips us to be lights in this world, because this world is a crazy place. I don't know if anybody's looked at the news lately, but it's pretty insane out there. And what a what a special joy it is that we have the word of God, which which is uh, eternal in the heavens. It is established forever in the heavens. And uh, it's the rock, right? He is the rock. So uh, in the chat room, we got a couple of comments that uh, this is kind of along the vein of what I've been thinking of during uh, this this year's Sukkot. So uh, how does this feast relate unto the Lord? And then Sean pulls that up. I hope you had a good birthday last Friday, Sean. Uh, Sean follows that up with was thinking the, a similar question. How does it relate to the Messiah? Okay. Uh, this is what I've been thinking about. Uh, I've really been focusing in on the idea of covenants. And actually, I've kind of put this all into a project uh, that I'm thinking about. I'm cultivating in my mind. I don't know if it'll be a, uh, a class, if it'll be an article, a blog post, a book, a video. I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, so when we finally get to, and I'll come into the middle of kind of how I've been formatting this project, but when we think of um, the Mosaic Covenant, right? Um, God basically, Moses goes up on the mountain. God basically has taken them out of Egypt, has led them out of Egypt, uh, led them pillar of fire by, uh, by night and smoke by day. Angel of the Lord has followed them um, behind and even put a wall between uh, Egypt and the people of Israel. And now uh, Israel, and also even before this, we have the promise that, uh, uh, is it the promise to Ephraim? I, I forget. He says, uh, he says, and behold, uh, I will dwell, uh, he will dwell in, in your tents. And the question is whether or not it's talking about God or not, but he will uh, dwell in your tents. And I think it's talking about God. So now fast forward, we, we get to the idea of giving of the law on Mount Sinai. And, uh, God basically says, now's the time I'm going to dwell among you. Right. And we start to see this really take shape with the formation of Israel 
around the tent of meeting, right? So the tent of meeting is how God is going to dwell with his people in the midst of his people. He's literally going to dwell in the midst of his people in this temporal time, space, all that. He's going to dwell with his people. And now we have the order of the tribes around this tent. So he's literally dwelling in the midst of all of the tribes. Ultimately, I think that this is not just a picture of of uh, Yeshua dwelling with us, God dwelling with us. I think that ultimately this is Yeshua dwelling with his people in the wilderness. And uh, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians when he says that a veil was placed over their, their hearts so that they couldn't see Yeshua in the, in, the, um, in, in the Torah, right? I'm paraphrasing, of course. Um, but Moses is the one that has to go in and talk to, talk to God, which I believe is a pre-incarnate Yeshua. Well, the people basically reject this. In a way, right? I mean, they they keep turning to idolatry. They're not they're not going to follow after this idea that God, their God is dwelling in their midst. In fact, on top of that, here's another thing I thought about: is that we get to uh, we get to the prophets. Which prophet is it? Is it Ezra? I forget. Anyway, one of the prophets says, and this king, maybe it's uh, Chronicles. Anyway, he says this king took the bronze serpent that Moses made. And melted it down because until that time, Israel had been worshiping this bronze serpent and they called it whatever. I forget what the name is that they called it. So it just shows, yeah, it just shows that from the time, even when they're in the wilderness, right? Even when God is dwelling in their midst, in the, in the, in the tent, in the middle of, of Israel, they're still worshiping this, this, uh, they're still worshiping false gods. Even the, even this thing that God told them to make that like they, they can't help but worship false gods. So, and this plays into the new covenant, right? The new covenant is that God will write it on our hearts. We'll write the Torah on our hearts. How does he do that through the indwelling of the Holy spirit? And so to me, the festival of Sukkot is to remember that God dwelled with his people in tents. We're supposed to essentially go back to that notion that we dwell with God in tents. And now we're actually able to recognize this through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In other words, we see we can now connect all the dots. We connect the dots that Yeshua is the pre-incarnate God who has indwelled this tent of meeting. He is the pre-incarnate God who, or he is the incarnate God who comes and dies on the cross for the sins of the elect. He is the spirit that has now filled his people who believe through faith. And now we look at this temporal, uh, this temporal time of dwelling with God in these tents for seven days. And on the eighth day, and I love this picture of the eighth day, the eighth day is actually us coming into eternity, right? We come into eternity with the Father. That's the picture that uh, now we dwell with Yeshua, not in this temporal makeshift uh, temporary dwelling, but it's eternal. The eighth day is a picture of, you know, it doesn't, the interesting thing about that eighth day is it doesn't cycle back to the first day. In other words, if we see the eight the eight days as uh, as if we see the seven days as the time of our earth, basically, well, instead of starting over like a normal week and going back to one, we go on. We hit the eighth day, and that's the picture of eternity. So that's kind of where my brain has been. I know I've said a whole lot. Thoughts? Sounds good. All right, let's see what the chat like uh, Late, my, my thoughts have been geared towards the relationship of the three come-to-me feasts. 
Fair enough. Uh, a follow-up. If they had not... Uh, if they had not golden calfed <laughs> to do things... Uh, uh, like it's a verb. I like Yeah. That. Do you think the feast would have been a command? Because if Yeshua was on the mountain with them, wasn't he there tabernacling with them? I think it would have been a command. In fact, I think that we see this in Exodus. He says... Let my people go. We need to leave so we can celebrate this feast. What feast is he talking about? I think he's talking about the feast of Passover. Yeah, well, and we have to remember, too, that before the golden calf, Moses was on the mountain and received all the instructions concerning the Mishkan, including that there would be a day where there would be blood taken in to the Holy of Holies. That's before the golden calf. So Moses had already received a revelation of what it was going to be. And we know that after the golden calf, they made it exactly to spec because the, the kavod of the Lord filled it. And it said, and they made it exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses. So that means that the revelation of the Mishkan, which was before the golden calf matched precisely what was physically built after. And that means that God forgave the sin. God didn't hold that over them say, Oh, you know, I don't accept this now because of what you guys did. And that's another picture into the the mystery and awesomeness of of atonement and and forgiveness. Well, we know that we know that uh God had planned on Yeshua before the fall, but we see it specifically in the fall, right? He promises the seed. So he promises atonement in the seed. Um, okay, let's go back to the uh, chat room. Clayton says, question or topic to talk about, how far back does the priesthood go? Example, when did the priesthood of Melchizedek start? Sorry if you covered this before. So, yeah, I take a little bit different view than Melchizedek, than most people do on Melchizedek. I think that Melchizedek is an example that is used to um, to make a point. In other words, Melchizedek shows up and he's he doesn't have a genealogy. He's no genealogy is given. So I don't think that, that a lot of people said, "Oh, he's Yeshua. He's Yeshua, the uh, pre-incarnate Yeshua that shows up." I don't I don't think that. I think that uh, the fact that he doesn't have a genealogy is what's really hit on. And so after the order of Melchizedek, what the writer to the Hebrews is doing is he's saying this guy doesn't have a a lineage. And that's exactly like Yeshua. Yeshua is eternal, and therefore he's the eternal priesthood. What do you think about that, Rob? Am I way off? Well, no, and I think also with that point is that Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews does tell us, says now if Yeshua obviously wasn't from the tribe of Levi, right? because Moses gave a commandment uh, concerning the, the Levitical priests, and they don't come from Judah, but we know that the Lord came from Judah. So, uh, he's talking about that point also. And, and of course, Psalm 110, you know, I, uh, I have sworn and not repent uh, and will not change my mind. You are a priest forever. So uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, intriguing questions that we don't have real clear answers to. I mean, um, how far back does the priesthood go though? I mean, you know, you know that uh, the rabbis say that Melchizedek is Seth mm. or, or Shem, sorry, Shem. Mm-hmm the son of Noah. And so, but that's, again, this is a, what we call Midrash. It's the effort to connect, to try to answer questions that the Bible doesn't clearly give us. And we got to be careful. It's fun to do that. Right. But we we have to say, are we building on rock right now? 
you know, or are we, are there, where do we draw the line to where we say, you know what, the Lord in his wisdom has concealed that from us and we have to be okay not being sure. Um, so so we, we have a, cu- a couple of things that we could go to here. Let's, let's go to this first. Scott says, uh, any good Sukkot songs slash hymns, you guys know. So our congregation has been batting back and forth uh, the notion that Yeshua was uh, born during Sukkot. I don't think that anybody can be dogmatic on this. And actually, the evidence that ha- has been presented to me, I've looked over it, and it's uh, convinced me that uh, you can't be dogmatic on this. In fact, I think that there's a way, there's a lot of different time that could be. People try to take Second Chronicles and say that the uh, the order of the priesthood shows us where um, John's father was, uh, was serving, and then if you figure out nine months from the time that um, Elizabeth is pregnant, uh, and you know Mary's pregnant from there, then you can figure out that it was during the time of Sukkot. Uh, this this is uh, not exact science by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and uh, in fact, I would say that you have even if you even if even if you put it in the uh, in the fall, you're still you still got a three month window that uh, this time period could be over, especially if we factor an intercalation of the calendar, yada, yada, yada. So I am not convinced by any stretch of the imagination. There are some people that will even go as far as saying he was born on the first day of Sukkot, circumcised on the eighth day of Sukkot. Uh, there is no absolutely no evidence for this whatsoever. And uh, I'm I'm becoming more and more uh, able to debate this topic as I, as I uh, study it because I, I'm just not at all convinced. With all of that said, um, because of our conversations, we uh, we took our hymn books. Our church has uh, a very traditional hymn book, and we really actually enjoy the hymn book. We only sing probably about uh, thirty songs out of the uh, you know six hundred hymns that are in there. Uh, but we're trying to we're trying to uh, expand that. Anyway, uh, when we went camping, we decided to sing what is traditionally labeled as Christmas hymns. Uh, they're not, they don't mention Christmas or anything like that in them. They're all about the birth of the Messiah. And so as we were, you don't sing Santa Claus is coming to town. No, we don't. We don't. Or Rudolph. Uh, So Rudolph, the red nosed reindeer. No, no, that's, that's one that's not in the hymn book, unfortunately. Um, Oh, oh, yes. Yes. No, but, uh, it's what was really striking about, um, the hymns that we did sing is the theological, how theologically solid these hymns are. They talk about the seed of the woman crushing the, you know, overcoming death, overcoming sin. I mean, it's theologically, they're just unbelievable. And by the time you get into the fourth verse of some of these songs, no one knows the words because people only sing the first verse. And so everyone's sitting there kind of reading these, you know, singing and reading these hymns going, oh my word, these are, we need to sing these all the time. These are really good. Yeah. So that's yeah, thick theology. Those guys not only had their theology down, but they were poetic. Oh yeah. And then some of those that were written in German, they tra- they're translated into English, for example, and they still retain a poetic kind of uh, you know form, but maintain that that theological robustness, which I like. Yeah. So MC and Elsie mm-hmm. uh, bring up a, a great point. They say, Caleb, how could Sukkot be when he was born if there was a census and they weren't in Jerusalem at that time? So the people who argue for Yeshua being born during Sukkot try to say that what happened was um, people were all on the road going to Sukkot, so they just stopped in their hometowns. This is an ap- this this argument doesn't work. 
And the reason why is because what if I was born in Haifa and now I'm living in Jerusalem and so I need to go to Haifa for the census to be counted? You're telling me that instead of just, I, that means I'm going to have to leave Jerusalem, go all the way to Haifa on my pilgrimage festival and then come all the way back down to Jerusalem, it makes no sense at all. I mean, I think, yes, MC and LC, this is actually one of the arguments that I would use against Yeshua being born on Sukkot, is I don't think it adds up. I don't think it makes sense. Um, however, I'm not going to be dogmatic about that. If people want to say that Yeshua was born during Sukkot, okay, is that is that possible? Sure, that's possible, I guess. I don't, I don't see it, but I, I suppose that that could be that could be the case. But my point is, is I think that it, uh, it, those who are dogmatic or those who try to argue for it, what they're trying to do is they're trying to pinpoint something that is not pinpointed in the text. Exactly. That, and that's where a lot of people get their sizzle, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. That's, that's why rabbinic midrash is a popular genre is because Oh, That's the why Hebrew, people can sell the, but the, the Hebrew, four blood moons. You yeah, know, and, but the and, Hebrew uh, roots midrash is, is, I mean, the reason that, that pastors <laughs> like this so much is because you can you can take the idea that, oh, well, Yeshua was born. Let me show you how Yeshua was born on Sukkot. And then, then oh, and and the word became flesh and tabernacled again, uh, uh, among us. So basically what they're doing is they're, they're trying, you know, uh, for pastors, this is, they, we, we like to say this is something that the pastors can wax boldly on. In other words, like if you can take this concept and you can preach this for days, right? And so it makes it really nice to be able to preach through it. But the problem is, is that you're really giving your congreg- your congregants information that is shoddy at best. And so when we're trying to be dogmatic about it, it just like, does. It looks like a cake, and they eat it and it's sawdust. It's like yeah, it, there's no there's, like, there's no there's no there's no it's so, a filler. So, it's like wow, I, I, it's filler, but like. No nutrients. Okay, you know? Let's get let's give a, a good example of this. How many yeah. how many people out there have heard this this uh, story that they used to to tie a rope around the uh, the priest's leg <laughs> when he'd go into the holy of holies on the day of Yom Kippur and and they did this because he had bells on on his uh, on his uh, uh, clothes and if he screwed up God would smite him and then they would listen for the bells and if the bells stopped moving what did they do they pulled him out by the rope. They knew he was dead. And they there was knew no he way was to dead. Retrieve the body. Yeah, yeah, there was no way to retrieve the body. Guess what? <laughs> this is this is totally made up. There's no, there's nowhere in scripture that this, this was something. I think I, I think I heard Michael Rood preaching that. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Years ago or but whatever. I mean, the, once again, these are things that you can wax boldly on in terms of preaching. Like, ooh, check this out. I have some insight for you that it's you like. Uh, this guy knows the temple better than anyone. <laughs> Oh man, and there's still people that are preaching on this. It's like, come on, guys. Uh, this is, I mean, we could talk a lot about uh, how, why you need, you know, I, somebody at our at our church last week said, "Do you have receipts on that?" Somebody said, "Yeah, well, blah 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 blah." And somebody said, "Do you have receipts on that?" And it was like, "That's a great question. Do you like show me where you can find that in the text?" So do you have receipts? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like it. It's good accounting terminology. Exactly. Okay, we do have a question that did come in, and Rob has not heard this. I don't know if we actually even want to talk about this or not. Um. So we've talked about it before, but I forget what what we talked how we talked about this. Victoria, 
writes in and says, I'm reading in Leviticus and I'm now in chapter 11. My family eats a kosher diet and have for quite a while. We recently had a brother say that we are free to eat what we want because God governs differently in different covenants. Okay, let's stop right there. God does not govern differently in different covenants. The fact that you use the term covenants, that's where I'm going to disagree with you. Um, and so this goes into the project that I was talking about um, working on. Anyway, uh, she says he's a disby, a dispensationalist. But he points to Noah being given the freedom to eat every moving thing that is alive, dot, dot, dot. And therefore, Noah was permitted to eat whatever he wanted. Then in chapter 11, Israel had restrictions showing he governs differently in this brother's view. Thus, through Christ, we are no longer expected to keep the dietary laws anymore. Any help would be appreciated. Okay. Uh, there well, is one first question is, well, what did Jesus do and what did the disciples do? Right. Yep. And and the verse that the, the that those people would love to find in the Bible is, and Jesus and the disciples sat down and ate a, a big ham old sandwich. pork sandwich. Yeah, a ham sandwich. And they rejoiced in the fact that they were in a new covenant. Okay, if that <laughs> if that verse is in the Bible somewhere, then they would have they would have a rock to build on. But guess what? It's not there. So every effort to put this up is is built on sand. Well, yeah, it's BS. It's bad scholarship. But the, but the point here is <laughs> the point here is this: uh, What do we see in in uh, Leviticus eleven? Throughout all your generations, forever, it's forever. So now we have to now we have to say, okay, well then, was that not true? Was that not the case throughout all your generations? Is that not the case? Also, we'd also have to ask, what is the new covenant? So is is the new covenant that the moral law or the uh, the you know certain laws have been done away with? I had someone once try to tell me that the uh, kosher laws were ceremonial laws, but I don't see how the kosher laws are ceremonial laws. They seem to be moral laws to me, because what's the punishment for uh, for not eating a kosher diet? There is no punishment for it. It's a it's a schism between you and the father. In other words, there's something in between your relationship with the Father. So, I mean, to me, that that's a moral issue. It's that's not ceremonial. Um, okay, but with all of that said, and the other uh, the other bit is, it says the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. That means God owns all the animals, right? And He said, "Don't eat certain." That means if you're encroaching on His protective word against certain animals. In other words, pigs are protected. Uh, lobsters are protected. They're protected by the commandment from from men to go and, and take and eat things that they were not given to eat. So, so there's another violation there is you're encroaching on what God said don't do that actually functions to protect those animals. Yeah, what is that passage? Is I think it's Genesis nine, what nine three? Let's take a look. Genesis nine, boom. Let's see if I'm right. Yeah, uh, I am right. <laughs> boom. Uh, so let's start in two. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Verse three. Every moving that thing that lives shall be food for you. 
and as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So to me, now let's just talk about what this what this uh, this passage is actually talking about. What is happening here uh, is that I think, and I think Rob has actually argued that there the uh, animals were not eaten until this point. And so yeah, the, yeah, but but they were slaughtered, right? So in other words, God had received what it was a reach nekoach, right? From from Abel on down to Noah, God had been pleased with the worship of faithful humans slaughtering animals and offering them as burnt offerings. So Noah was well aware of the smell of cooked meat. Right. But he'd never but he'd never partaken because it was for the Lord. Yeah. The, the, so what what I read what I read this is means now I'm oh, now I'm allowing you to eat meat. I don't think Noah said, "Oh, that's great because I've been having my eyes on those pigs over there on the hill." No. When <laughs> Noah then started eating meat, he saw it as participation in what only had been for God at that point. The the quite yeah and the yeah, exactly and the question that I would have is okay does that mean that Noah was able to eat humans? Yeah, I mean, it says just, every or living spiders, thing or it's, spiders or or like yeah it's silly it's 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 they're trying to they're trying to take the relationship with the father out of it right. and try to say see the text see the text well Noah wouldn't go and start eating spiders and lobsters and clams and no because up to now he's been vegetarian and he's like you know what I he knows what's acceptable to God by what has been transmitted as acceptable sacrifice. That's what I think he partook in then, was of animals that were acceptable, also acceptable for worship to God. And yeah. then that just becomes and that's listed, the point of the text. specifically listed in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It just specifically lays those out. I love it how people believe, the people who uh, argue these kind of things believe in progressive revelation, except for when it comes to their food. You're allowed to eat anything that, that walks on earth. Now here's some progressive revelation down the, the road about what exactly you're allowed to eat. Oh, no, that's not progressive revelation. That's a different dispensation. Is oh, and then even Acts, like Acts 10, right? I know you taught through Acts this last year. Peter says, nothing unclean. I've never eaten anything unclean, Lord. This is after the ascension. Right. This is after Pentecost. So did Peter miss the memo? Like if 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 all of a sudden the floodgates of eating whatever you want happened at the cross— why is Peter, you know, Acts chapter 10, however much farther down the timeline that was from the ascension, Peter hadn't been given the memo. Right. I think it, it's just, it's silly. And, and you know, we're told the disciple is not above his master. You know, we, so anyway, um, first of all, Lee uh, ha- makes a comment, uh, asks a question, but he also gives a super chat. Uh, we thank you, Woo-woo. sir, for your super chat. Let's see here. Hmm. What do I want to play? What do I want to play? Let's do. I, I, we haven't listened to this in a little bit. Weights and measures. Trust me, I'm a Canadian here. You've been blessed. Thank you, Lee. We appreciate your super chat. If you want to be mentioned on this show, give us a super chat. We'll mention you too, uh, Lee. Hey, oh, and and, and those uh, really gifted uh, jingle musicians out there, we yeah. could we could do with a nice super chat. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah, 
product. And, and, like, and, and I don't yes. know what, what would it sound like? What would the lyrics be? I don't Super know. Super chat. Super, okay. Anyway, Ali uh, asks this question. He says, Caleb, what do you think about 1689 federalism? It also says Abraham was in the New Covenant. I do not know what 1689 federalism is. 1689 to me is a very specific date because it is the date of the Baptist Confession, which I hold predominantly to. Uh, I would say probably 80, 90% of the, uh, maybe 90 to 95% of the Baptist Confession of 1689 I hold to. I did a lot of work in that confession, but I do not know what 1689 federalism is. I was, I, I'm... Happy to it's show a, my it's ignorance. It's probably an ecclesiastical structure where there's a kind of a local and then a, a uh, yeah. A I mean, general. I'm not. I'm, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not going to comment on something that I haven't looked at and studied. But I would be happy, uh, Lee, if you send me any information that you have on that. I would love to uh, take a look because 1689 is a dear, a dear year to my heart. Um, okay. Let's see here. Where else were we going to go? Uh, was there something we can else? talk about Rosh Hashanah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. OK, um, how do we how do we broach this subject without mentioning names? Let's just try to do it. We'll try to do it without mentioning names. So there was something that was sent to me. It was a video from a prominent Hebrew Roots ministry. They talked about the festivals for believers, which actually that portion of it was very good. I feel like that's kind of how they reel you in, right? They talk about some good stuff and then they throw some really wacky stuff. And once again, remember the comment that we made? Uh, do you have receipts on that? There were no receipts given for this one. Uh, not one receipt that I saw. Anyway, the, here was the claim. Here was the claim. And if you know who we're talking about, that's great. But if you don't, that's fine too. Here was the claim. The claim was, that the Torah used to number the months as one, two, three, four, and that uh, the names of the month, Tammuz, Nisan, they don't come around until uh, the Judah is in exile in Babylon. Okay, so there may be some, uh, some truth to the notion that the uh, month names come from pagan deities. This is this is fine. In fact, we have this today in our in our modern uh, calendar: January, February, March, April, May, June. So some of these are based on uh, things that we as believers would reject, but those are the names of the month. So the idea, first of all, let me give you the claim first. Here's the claim: the claim is is that uh, Yom Teruah is the biblical day of, of blowing trumpets. There's not a lot given to this. And so what happens is after Judah's in Babylon, they come back, they come back to, uh, to Israel, and now they're bringing all this paganism with them. And part of this paganism is, is a new year, the new year of Tammuz. And this new year is actually a, cel a pagan celebration of a new year to this pagan deity, Tammuz. And so really... What has happened is that the Jewish people, what they're celebrating is not actually Yom, Tepor, Yom Teruah. It's actually Rosh Hashanah, which is actually a pagan festival. And believers shouldn't fall to this, to this pagan festival of Rosh Hashanah. There is a whole lot of, uh, there's a whole lot of uh, suggestion with, once again, no receipts. And so... To me, the point is, first of all, if you're listening to a uh, teaching and something sounds amazing and possibly too good to be true, it probably is. Um, or if it has that uh, 
what's what is the sauce that they put on it that it's like and then special sauce and then yeah, the special sauce, the mystery sauce. The mystery sauce. You know, uh, you know yeah. how like you're watching a video and it's like they've got the right music and the, and they're good at the video. And then the guy talks like this and like this and then this. It's the I call it like the mystery sauce. I don't know. What do you call it? Uh, but it's if it's got if it's like secret this has sauce. too much. Yeah, this has way too much secret sauce. So you you have to have like an acquired taste of like, yeah, there's too much barbecue sauce on this this hamburger or whatever you know there's too much here and, and if if you get that there's too much sauce if you start feeling saucy like this is like you know <laughs> i'm not sure what that means but if you just if it's dripping with sauce let that be like a gut check like hang yeah, on just a second they're probably they're probably uh they're probably adding too much of the of the the mystery sauce here it looks like we're having some video trouble. I'm sorry. I don't know what else to tell you except for, oh. uh, you know, uh, let's hope that it comes back in. Let's hope that it uh, it it looks like we're still live. So, yeah, we'll uh, keeps clicking. Yep, it keeps buffering for me. Let's see if we can. Uh, let me see if I can. I'm just going to. Hang on, guys. The chat room is saying help. What do we do? Okay, hang on. And okay, we're just gonna uh, we're just gonna have to uh, we're just gonna have to keep going. Anyway, so basically, when it comes to these kind of videos, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but if people tell you to go test stuff, go test it, like legitimately. Don't take their word for it because this kind of stuff is absolutely ridiculous. Well, ultimately, what I'll give you my thoughts on this, Rob, and then you can you can tell me what you think. That ultimately, what you're doing, they say that these these month names were later insertions into the text. First of all, there's no evidence for that whatsoever. There's no evidence textually that the uh, that the names of the months. Like a later, you mean like a later copyist yeah, said, "Oh, that, I'm going to I'm going to add these these month names in." There's there's no evidence of that whatsoever. Um, well, it, especially it can't be because, for example, like I just pulled up in Nehemiah 2.1, it says it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King uh, Artaxerxes. In other words, they would have to erase, they would have to erase the first month from the text and replace it with with a new one. You know what I mean? Right. Or like Nehemiah 1, it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. Like they would have to erase the month number, and then put the Babylon. Yeah, and that just doesn't make any sense. Well, um, yeah. So, I mean, ultimately, you're you're talking about now degrading the canonicity of the scriptures, and um, uh, but this idea that Rosh Hashanah. I'm sorry, this is nonsense. The fact is, is that uh, is that the the idea of uh, Yom Teruah being a new year is in the text. How is it in the text? Well, it's in the text because this is, if it's a jubilee year, this is when everybody gets freed. So if I'm a slave and I've worked 12 years yep. to a master, what new year am I looking for? Am I looking yep. for Passover? No, nothing happens at Passover except for a celebration. I am looking forward to Yom Teruah when I get, uh, when I get to be let free. To me, that's a new year. Something is definitely new about that. That's right. So, I mean, yes, the years, especially for the for the uh, holiday, the festival cycle starts in Nissan, but the agricultural 
Uh, and concerning the land, the new year for that is actually in the seventh month. Right. That's in Le- that's in the Torah, Leviticus twenty five nine. You shall sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn throughout all your land. You shall thus consecrate the fiftieth year and proclaim release. That's what we're talking about here. Yep. And so that cycle is separate from the cycles of months, which of course begins in the springtime. Right. So I mean, the, the, but but there's no notion or talking about this. Didn't you? Didn't you also say that? Uh, who uh, is it? Ezekiel who uses the term Yom or uh, Rosh Hashanah? Yeah, yeah. Ezekiel you, forty verse one. You want to talk? Yeah, you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. Well, sure. I, Ezekiel forty verse one. Um, it says in the twenty fifth year of our exile at the at Rosh Hashanah on the tenth of the month, and so. It says the Lord was upon the hand of the Lord was upon me. Okay, so the Lord gives Ezekiel this temp this uh, kind of temple vision, and the question is: Is it on Yom Kippur? Is it the tenth of the seventh month? Or and, and of course, which is also the time of the of the declaration of the jubilee? Or is this the tenth day of the first month? Well, Ezekiel is ambiguous because he just says Berosh Hashanah. At the at Rosh Hashanah, this is the only place in all of the Tanakh that we have Rosh Hashanah. Well, the problem with people have people say, "Oh, he's talking about the Nisan. This is Nisan," and you'll see different. You can look at commentators. Some say Nisan. Some say no. This is the seventh month. This is Yom Kippur. Ezekiel forty is a vision on Yom Kippur. I lean towards that that it's the vision of Yom Kippur. Here's why: is because there's other times in the book of Ezekiel, where he refers to the first month, and he just says it's the first month. He doesn't, it, there's other places in Ezekiel where he says the first month. Why didn't he say Rosh Hashanah all those times? <clears throat> right. And the only time in Ezekiel 45, when he mentions both the first month and the seventh month, it's rehearsing just specific sacrifices for the feasts, for Pesach and um, tabernacles right. or Sukkot. So, but all the other times, outside of Ezekiel 45, he never mentions the seventh month at all by number, but he mentions the first month a few times, just calling it the first month. So I think with all that, in my view, I think it's way more plausible that Ezekiel 40, when it says Rosh Hashanah, he's talking about Tishri, he's talking about the seventh month. Um, and the 10th of the month, and that we're supposed to understand Ezekiel 40 in terms of this is a special vision in exile on Yom Kippur pertaining to uh, Israel and the temple. So um, that's my view. I, I don't think that it's a pagan thing. I think I agree with you, Caleb. I mean, there's Aviv is mentioned, Kislev is mentioned, Nisan, or, or sorry, Nisan. Kislev are mentioned, Adar is mentioned, and it's not a bad word. Right. These are not bad words. These are not uh, an abomination to the Lord. And and the people who are out there teaching this are just, they're desperate to try to get followers. They're desperate to try to get people um, intrigued or something. I don't know what, it's the it's that intrigue sauce or whatever that they like to sprinkle on stuff. Um 
Anyway. Well, it looks like uh, our video is skipping quite a bit for people, and I apologize that uh, for that. Uh, you can always go back. Hopefully, and, the recording will be. Fine. Yeah. Well, I'll probably delete this and then re-upload um, a little bit later. So, uh, we appreciate you guys very much. We hope that you have a great Sukkot, and uh, we'll be back next week. I have no clue what we're going to talk about next week, but we'll figure it out. You can uh, send us your ideas of what we should talk about. Two five three four six five thirty two zero five. 253-465-3205. You can also shoot us an email, seehagatorresource.com, seehagatorresource.com. All right, everybody. Well, I'm sorry if uh, you've been trying to watch this and it hasn't been working for you. We'll re-upload the entire video at a later time. All right, guys. We hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. You know why? Because Messiah matters.